Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 and 29 through 32. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so also they have now been disobedient in order that, by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. There's a shipwreck in the Pacific. A survivor washes up on a deserted island and for two years makes life there by himself. He figures out what berries and fruits on the island are good for him to eat. He makes crude structures for his living. And he figures out how to fish in the shallows of the Pacific. And then one day, another ship off course makes its way to this island. And he is rescued after two years. And they're fascinated by the life he's made for himself here. They see this this makeshift grill. It's a rotisserie for the fish he's caught. And they ask him about the structures. What is that? And he says, that's my home. I built it so I could stay safe from the, from the animals on the island and from the weather. And how about that? He said, that's where I go to church. Every seven days, I check off seven days and I go there and I worship all day. And how about that? He said, I'm Baptist. That's where I used to go to church. <laughs> In 10 years as your pastor, I have never started a sermon with a joke before. (laughs) I suppose the church has been arguing and splitting as long as there has been a church. Now, Baptists didn't invent church fights. We just got a reputation for being really good at it. And there's one church fight that has a continuous line, a a continuous history that can be traced back to the very origins of the church. The theme has taken on different expressions, but there is a through line here. And in simple terms, the fight has been who is in and who is out. Now, we saw another round of that fight played out this summer when the Southern Baptist Convention met and voted to disfellowship from churches that had women in pastoral leadership. They declared, you're out, no longer to be one of us. I have a picture in my, one of the books in my office 
of white men at a Baptist church in Macon at each door, arms crossed, making sure that no black people came in. You're out. You're not one of us. The Methodist church is embattled right now over whether or not congregations who endorse gay clergy will be kicked out of the denomination. My point is, as long as there has been a church, there have been fights about who really gets to be one of us. And in the first century, this took place between Jews and Gentiles. This ruckus plays out throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. The first Christians were Jews, all of them. The twelve apostles, all Jews. They accepted Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish hope, the long-awaited Messiah. So the first big church fight was whether or not Gentiles could be in the club. This finally got settled. It was a big fight. It finally got settled at a church business meeting in Acts chapter 15 where they voted that Gentiles could be in the club. This is good news for you and me. That's how we got in. But there were some people not happy about this. Not at all. How can they be included? And then... When the Gentile church started growing and thriving, there was another us-them, who's in, who's out argument that followed. What about the Jews who are still devout followers of the faith, but who have not accepted Jesus as the Messiah? Are they still the chosen ones of God? Isn't there a new covenant? The theological term for this debate is supersession. Now, let me uh, break down that seminary word. The question is, does the new covenant in Jesus supersede, replace the old covenant? The argument for supersession would go like this. God made covenant with Israel. And the Jewish people found their salvation in Yahweh. But now God has made a new covenant in Jesus. We've torn up the old contract, new rules. To be saved, you must be a Jesus follower. The new covenant supersedes, replaces the old covenant. When former Southern Baptist Convention President Bailey Smith said that God doesn't hear the prayer of the Jews, he was declaring his alignment with supersession. But the Apostle Paul would not agree with President Smith. In our scripture today, Paul takes on this issue. He's writing to the church, meeting in Rome, mostly a group of Gentiles who are Jesus followers. And they are arguing, you're one of us, you believe as we believe, or you're out. And Paul answers them in clear, stark language. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. 
I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. God has never made a covenant God did not keep. When God made a new covenant in Jesus, God did not make the circle of mercy smaller by tearing up the old covenant with the Jews. God made the circle of mercy bigger by including the Gentiles. But a lot of people get really angry when the circle of God's grace gets larger. Notice. It happens a lot. When I was at the seminary at Mercer, Lloyd Allen was our professor of church history and spiritual formation, and Lloyd's a dear friend. And he was also uh, certified to administer and interpret uh, the Myers-Briggs personality test. A lot of y'all have taken that or something like it, right, where you answer a whole bunch of questions and you find out if you're more inclined to be a thinker or a feeler? Are you more inclined to be an introvert or an extrovert? That kind of thing. For those who care and are taking, uh, keeping score at home, I was an ENFJ. Well, one, day, one day in class, one of the students asked Dr. Allen, has anybody done the research and taken a stab at what might be Jesus' personality type? And with no hesitation at all, Lloyd said, yes, Jesus is an INFP. Well, the, finally, a courageous student said, how do, you, how do you know that? Lloyd said, because I'm an INFP. I'm convinced I'm special. Jesus is like me. Well, he was being cute, of course, but he also is making a statement with a lot of painful wisdom in it. Whenever we draw circles of who is in and who is out, it's our tendency to draw them small, but we never draw them so small that we're not included. All white supremacists happen to be white. We enter dangerous waters when we declare with assurance that we know who is saved and who is not. Now I hear you formulating the challenges. Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father but by me. A friend of mine said, yes, it is true. I just don't know who's on Jesus' list. Jesus might be at the gates with a clipboard saying, nobody comes to the Father but by me. He's with me. She's with me. The church at Rome wanted to declare the scope of God's mercy saying that the new covenant wiped out the old covenant and fewer were in the circle of God's grace. 
And Paul answered, by no means. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You don't get to decide that God has revoked an old covenant. God has never made a covenant God did not keep. There's another uncomfortable theme in Scripture. And that is that God's love is especially aggravating when it's extended to people we don't care for. Have you noticed? Uh, you, you remember when God wanted Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites that they might repent and be saved. And it just aggravated Jonah to no end. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He wasn't going to go preach to them. And it really ticked off Jonah that God was going to show mercy to a group of people he despised. Anne Lamott famously says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. And you know that Jesus kept aggravating the righteous by drawing bigger circles of inclusion. Nearly every page. He'd eat with sinners right here. Next thing you know, he's inviting Nicodemus out of the tree for the two of them to go to dinner. Nicodemus is a tax collector for crying out loud if anybody was outside the circle. Jesus would talk to women of questionable reputation right in the middle of daylight. One woman had been married five times. He's just chatting her up right there at the well. She's outside the circle. He would sometimes heal Romans and not Jews. Defended a woman caught in adultery. All the way to the end, Jesus is hanging from a cross, dripping with blood, taking his last breaths, and declares that the thief who's hanging next to him is included. Today you will be with me in paradise. God's mercy is scandalously big. Now let me address the next challenge that might be bubbling up in you at the moment. Doc, this sounds like universalism. Are you saying that all people are saved? No. Love cannot be coercive. The gift of God's love is freely given, and when we accept God's grace, we are set free by the forgiving love of God. But in order to say yes to love, it means that we have to have the freedom to say no. We choose. Otherwise, it is coercion, and love cannot be coercive. I must be free to say no to God's extended gift. But I am suggesting that mercy is God's alone to offer. God will decide who gets saved. And we enter dangerous waters when we declare to know who's in and who's out. 
And if the themes of Scripture are true, there is a good chance that left up to us, we would draw the circle way too small. Except not so small that we wouldn't be included in it. You and I have been saved by grace. As our scripture for today says, you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy. That's us. We were saved by a love we did not deserve. And that's what we celebrate and the story we tell. We do not declare who is inside or outside the circle. We marvel at a love that would include us. I won't recommend a movie this violent, but some of you might have seen the Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven. There is a scene where Eastwood's young sidekick has just participated in shooting another man, and it's followed by this really prolonged, really painful death. I I told you it's a violent movie. And the young guy is just really shaken by the, and, and he tries to reassure himself by saying, he had it coming. And Eastwood doesn't offer much reassurance. He says, we all have it coming. That's the beauty of God's mercy in the face of our transgression. We all have it coming. And yet God extended mercy to us anyway. Or as Paul says in the final verse of our passage for today, God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he might be merciful to all. We all have it coming. We worship and celebrate God's wonderful mercy that has set us free. And it is just sometimes aggravating that it is God's nature to be merciful to all because our mercy usually does not extend that far. One commentator said that Paul fails to understand why the Jews have not turned to Christ. And you remember that Paul said to the church in Corinth, I'm committed to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is, Paul continued to preach with passion what he knows to be true, what has set him free, and that that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul also recognizes in this passage that God's mercy is bigger than his experience of it. What will God do with the faithful Hindu? Does God's grace extend to the practicing Buddhist? I do not know. And it's not my job. I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I declare this day and every day that life abundant and life eternal is found in the way of Jesus. And this I know to be true. But I will not be caught with those in the Roman church who had decided who God's will 
will not include. Grace is God's alone to extend. Instead of drawing circles that are only God's to draw, instead, let's stand amazed and grateful that God's mercy found us, that we were included and captured by a love that will not let us go. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.